0: When I saw his picture, just something didn't match up for me. I can't really explain what it is. It's just a mother's intuition that this guy's no good. I just didn't like him. I wanted to get a hold of her and say, Crystal, what are you doing with this person? Oh, my gosh. And it was too late. She didn't respond. And unbeknownst to me, the pictures she sent me were going to be the pictures on a wanted poster. (laughs)
1: On Friday, June 10th, in 2016, a young couple living in San Diego, California get up around 6.30am and quietly begin their morning routine. They don't want to disturb their house guests who arrived from Arizona the day before. The wife heads to work and by 1pm, when their friends still haven't come out of the bedroom, the husband becomes concerned. He knocks on the door, there's no answer. He knocks again, louder, still no answer. Slowly, he opens the door and makes a shocking discovery. Lying on the bed is the lifeless body of their female guest. She is clearly dead and no one else is in the room. I'm Steve French. This is Unsolved Mysteries, wanted for murder.
0: Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We're starting with breaking news tonight out of San Diego. Police confirms to 12 News a Phoenix woman has been found dead inside of an apartment in San Diego.
2: At about 1.15 in the afternoon on June 10th, 2016, we received a 911 call about a possibly deceased female inside a condo in the 7600 block of Mission Gorge Road in the city of San
1: Diego. Lieutenant Matt Dobbs is with the San Diego Police Department. At the time, he was a sergeant assigned to the homicide team. The patrol officers
2: went out and they did find a a deceased female in the room. Uh, There appeared to be signs of a struggle in the room and some trauma to her body, so they froze the scene and contacted the homicide unit. We arrived at about 2.30 that afternoon. It's a a primarily residential area that abuts to an industrial area. Uh, It was a two-bedroom condominium. There was obviously the bedroom that was used by the residents there and then there was a guest bedroom. When we walked into the the condominium and into that particular bedroom, she was laying on the bed on her back. There were some obvious signs of trauma. I can't go into too much detail about that, but she'd have injuries consistent with a violent attack. There was some blood on the floor and on the bed uh, that was indicative of a violent struggle.
1: An autopsy would later state that the cause of death was strangulation and blunt force trauma. While his team secures the crime scene and searches for physical evidence, Sergeant Dobbs questions the man who discovered the body. He says that the woman's name is Crystal Mitchell. She arrived the night before with Raymond R.J. McCloud. It was the first time the man had met Crystal, and the last time he would see her alive.
2: We learned that she was from the Phoenix, Arizona area. Uh, she's the mother of two young children. Uh, she had recently started a relationship with Mr. McLeod. They came to spend the weekend here in San Diego and they were going to stay with the residents uh, of that apartment who were acquaintances of Mr. McCloud. They had stayed up that night. Uh, they were having some cocktails and, and getting to know each other a little bit better. It was just casual conversation, kind of catching up. They hadn't seen each other for a while. The residents did have to work the next morning and they did have a small child. So they went to bed probably about 10 o'clock in the evening. Mr. McCloud and Crystal went out to a local bar to have a couple more drinks. The next day, the female resident there got up and went to work. The male resident got up, was going about his business, didn't want to disturb his guests. Uh, He had left the apartment for a little while and then then returned. At about one o'clock in the afternoon on June 10th, he went to check on him, and that's when he knocked on the door. And when he got no response, he opened the door and, and discovered Crystal's body.
1: The man and his wife didn't hear their guests return the night before and never heard a struggle. And they didn't hear anyone leave. But R.J. is nowhere to be found. Investigators have only a body, a name, and a lot of questions.
2: We are just trying to get a little background information on Crystal. Obviously, we had her identification, so we started doing a a check and were able to locate uh, her mother. And so I called her mother from the scene.
0: So when the call came in, it was my husband that was talking to Detective Dobbs. I just heard bits and pieces then, and it was basically, you know, we're sorry to inform you that your daughter was murdered and that her body is in the San Diego morgue. And when I heard him say that, I just lost it. I just remember covering my ears and screaming and and dropping to the floor. My whole world just collapsed, hadn't I?
1: At the time of Crystal's murder, her mother, Josephine Funes Wenzel, was living in Vancouver, Washington with Crystal's stepfather. Crystal was 30 years old and had moved to Phoenix, Arizona just two years earlier.
0: Crystal and I have become very close over the years. She called me two to three times a day, and I was concerned because she was a single mother of two small children, and uh, she had moved away from the family. So I was you know, always looking out for her. Crystal was a very caring individual. She was very bubbly. She was like the joy of the room. When she walks in a room, the whole room would light up. Crystal comes walking in with a big smile. She's friendly to everyone. She had long, dark hair. She was very beautiful. It's about five, six, I would say, small to medium built, She loved hiking, she loved adventure, she would take her kids hiking, they'd go bike riding, they they did everything together. She'd take them on trips with her, she just loved her children.
1: When Crystal moved to Phoenix, she was raising two children from a previous marriage, a two-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son. Her ex-husband had served in the military and was injured while on his last tour in Iraq. The challenges of parenting proved too much for his physical and mental wounds, and they ended up divorcing. Crystal is now the sole provider for her children, and she's working as a property manager at an apartment complex while studying to become a real estate broker.
0: She wanted the flexibility to be able to be home with her children, and that was the hardest thing for her, was working every day. She says, mom, it's really hard, you know, being a single mom. She adored her children and she was determined to make her life the best for them.
1: As summer approaches in 2016, Crystal is busy with work and classes, and her children's school year is coming to an end. Josephine offers to take the kids for the summer instead of putting them in daycare. On June 10th, the children are just settling into Josephine's house when the call comes in from the San Diego Police Department.
0: I had totally forgotten the children were in the house at that time. And they heard me screaming and crying. and They kept saying, what's wrong with Nana? What's going on with Nana? And so they were taken out of the house to my sisters to spend the night. And and then the next day I had to tell them that their mom was killed. And she wasn't coming back for them.
1: At the scene of the murder, police continue their search for clues. The couple that found Crystal's body has no idea where R.J. McLeod could be, but Crystal's car is missing.
2: Crystal's car was found abandoned in the parking lot of the airport a day or two later by Harbor Police officers. Early on on the 10th, Mr. McLeod had rented a car from the San Diego International Airport. We were able to determine in, in a very short course of events that Mr. McLeod drove into Mexico in the rented vehicle.
0: When I heard he fled to Mexico, I was shocked. My first thought was, oh my gosh, we're going to lose him.
3: Crystal Mitchell was found dead in San Diego. The single mother of two was vacationing in one of her favorite spots with a new man in her life named Raymond McLeod. San Diego police have called McLeod a person of interest, except he's believed to have fled to Mexico.
1: When Raymond McLeod met Crystal Mitchell, he was 32 years old and went by the nickname RJ. He had grown up with his family in nearby Scottsdale, Arizona. He joined the Marines and eventually got married, had a child, and got divorced. He's tall, charming, and an avid bodybuilder. And one day, he shows up at the apartment building where Crystal works.
0: McLeod was referred to the apartments my daughter worked at by a apartment referral agency. He was looking for an apartment, a two-bedroom apartment, a room for his son and a room for himself. And every time he came in the office to talk to the leasing agent, he would look at her.
1: McLeod ends up renting an apartment in the complex And continues to find excuses to stop by the leasing office. Crystal is intrigued enough by McLeod to mention him during a call with her mother.
0: She had called me one day, um, you know, this is all within, I would say, weeks. Um, She had called me and said, mom, remember that guy? And I told you about it. And I said, yeah. She says, well, he came in the office and we talked. She told me that he worked for his parents' company, the insurance company, and that he was an agent. And that he was a former u s. marine recruiter. He had a child. His child was moving into the apartment with him. Supposedly, the apartment was made up with photos of the child everywhere, and he just looked like the perfect father. And that was a criteria that she looked at when she dated. She did not like going out and dating. She told me it was too much work. She says, "Mom, it's not easy to go out and and date and deal with people that." you know you have nothing in common with you find out later but she said it's a difficult time to date you know especially with two children and so one of the things i had said to her was you know crystal if you do find a person you'd have to find someone who's familiar with children that would be willing to raise two children with you and who actually love children
1: crystal enjoys her talks with mcleod he's charismatic physically attractive And as single parents, they have a lot in common. They begin dating, but Crystal's in no rush to have a serious relationship. She confides to RJ that she recently broke up with a possessive boyfriend who continues to stalk her.
0: The way that McLeod had gotten my daughter's attention was he knew that she was afraid of someone. And so what he did was he offered her a gun to protect herself. He gave her a gun and I think she felt it gained her confidence in him. He's a soldier, his family's established, he's a doting dad who loves his son so much. Absolutely easy to see why she's attracted to him.
1: RJ and Crystal have only known each other for three weeks when RJ surprises her with a weekend trip to San Diego. They'll leave on a Thursday and return on Sunday. They can stay with his friends who live there. It'll be fun. They decide to take Crystal's new car, and on Thursday, June 9th, they hit the road for the 355-mile trip to San Diego.
0: You know, driving distance is about five hours, I believe, from Phoenix. And so whenever she had the chance, she would go to San Diego and enjoy the beach. She even told me, Mom, one day, I'm going to move to San Diego. And that was her dream. McLeod had asked her, knowing that she loves San Diego, said, hey, I have a friend who has condo and they have a couple extra rooms and we can go there and stay and it's a family and they have a child and everything sounds safe. It, it sounded good. So I spoke to Crystal Wednesday night and then the following day, Thursday, she had texted me. She said she was on her way to San Diego and I had texted her and said, can you please at least send me a picture of this person you're going with so I know what he looks like. So when I saw his picture, just something didn't match up for me. I can't, I can't really explain what it is. It's just a mother's intuition that this guy's no good. And unbeknownst to me, the pictures she sent me were going to be the pictures on a wanted poster.
1: What happened after Crystal's final text exchange with her mother that led to her brutal death? Sergeant Dobbs and his homicide team are able to piece together the events of the previous evening.
2: The evening before, uh, Mr. McLeod and Crystal went out to a local bar, and we were able to figure out which bar they had gone to, interviewed some people there. There was some kind of an altercation at the bar between Crystal and Mr. McLeod. Uh, There was another individual who intervened. Um, Eventually, they were all asked to leave the bar. The individual that intervened and Mr. McLeod got into a fight outside. Eventually, Mr. McLeod and Crystal returned to the condominium. We don't know if he had any injuries or not at that point, but it's very likely that he did cut his hand at some point.
1: What happened after Crystal and McLeod left the bar and returned to their friend's condo? What kind of confrontation would have led to her murder? Crystal was cautious about who she dated. Two credit checks on RJ when he leased his apartment turned up no red flags. But unfortunately, a criminal background check was not required. If it had been, Crystal would have known that McCloud was hiding a violent past. He had been married three times. His first wife had filed charges against him for domestic violence. And just three months before he killed Crystal, McCloud was accused of attempting to strangle his third wife, but was released on $50,000 bond for domestic violence.
0: When McLeod approached my daughter, he was approaching her as a single man. What Crystal didn't know, and what I didn't know until after she was killed, is that he was married three times, and he was still married to his third wife. What I was told was that he attempted to kill his third wife, that she was asleep, and that he had gone into the room and started strangling her. And then she woke up and as she was gagging, she was fighting him back. There were friends in the apartments who came and pulled him off of her. When I looked at his record and I started seeing that he had been involved with other people as far as threats, people were afraid of him. You know, he was this big, massive guy that hung out in strip clubs and so steroids, and he's threatened to kill people, and he's very intimidating, and he's crazy. So I was alarmed, I it was just not, this guy was a monster. He didn't have any intent of dating, having exclusive dates, or having a relationship. He had no intent of doing that. He was a liar, he was a big fake. He was a poser, a faker, and everything about him was a lie. A total lie.
1: Three days after Crystal's murder, authorities locate R.J. McLeod's rental car abandoned in Mazatlan, Mexico. McLeod is in the wind.
2: It's not unusual for us, obviously, being a border town. Someone fleeing into Mexico, it it does make your job more difficult as far as extradition and and being able to conduct follow-ups and surveillance and searching for people in Mexico. The San Diego Police Department has a a Mexican liaison unit who works with the authorities in Mexico, and we also have a U.S. marshal assigned to our unit that helps us.
0: There were people after him, on his trail, boots on the ground. They had the special forces on the case, and San Diego PD being one of the best in the nation. They had liaisons in Mexico and... This is a common thing that happens, and we get them all the time. I was reassured over and over that a large American man covered in tattoos, a white guy, would be easily seen in Mexico. He'll stand out like a sore thumb. And I thought, oh, surely we'll get this guy. No two ways about it. But it didn't happen that way.
1: San Diego police homicide investigators uncover enough evidence to charge McLeod with the murder of Crystal Mitchell, and a warrant is issued for his arrest.
0: I was in communication with the district attorney, and so I trusted them. There was no reason for me not to trust them. They were very good to me. They were very kind. They were very concerned. They were, you know, they showed every effort of wanting to catch this guy. And days turned weeks and weeks started turning to months. And about the fifth month, I was like, okay, what's wrong with this picture? What do you mean you haven't gotten him? What happened to the big sore thumb in Mexico? You know? And that's when I decided to step in and use some of my skills.
1: It turns out that Josephine is not your typical grandmother. She's actually a detective herself, having spent eight years working for the police department in Guam. She knows how investigations work.
0: When I was 18 years old I joined the police department in Guam and during my time there I eventually became a detective and one of the things that I had to do was I had to assist also in homicide cases rapes robberies that sort of thing and as a you know former law enforcement officer one of my concern is you're assigned so many cases And you're expected to solve all these cases, but you only have so many hours during the day. And you know that you want to help everybody, but you just can't. I got tired of calling Detective Dobbs. I'm sure he was probably tired of me calling him. It had been already five months had gone by. And so, you know, I started digging more and more into it to figure out what's going on with the case. All I had was Facebook. And I started putting the word out on Facebook in the beginning, just try to get people to share about McLeod being wanted. There were a lot of people that reached out that knew McLeod. Several men wrote to me about being in the Marines with him. And one Marine said, you know, we're really sorry this happened to you, but none of us are surprised.
1: Josephine posts more and more information on social media, trying to find leads. She soon starts receiving tips from people in Central America near the Mexican border who claim to have seen McLeod.
0: When I started advertising in Belize, I had a great response. I was being contacted left and right by people seeing him. Everybody spotted him. One lady in particular, an American expat that was living out there, she owned a bar out there and she described him. She remembered him specifically because even though he was sitting in a crowd, You could tell that he had something in his mind because he was staring off into space. But he would try to blend in and drink with everyone and like nothing was going on. During my search I came upon a blog and a blogger described McLeod to the T. He went to this hostel in Livingston, Guatemala and he had mentioned that as they were driving up to this creepy place He said, Matt, who had met us at the gate, was an ex-soldier, an ex-bodybuilder, ex-security consultant. And this is the alias that McLeod was using, was Matt. I started doing research on hostels in the area, and then I started finding people that met him, that knew him, that worked with him, that hated him. But by that time, he was gone. They told me he had just left, that someone came with a flyer and said, you know, that I was looking for him. And so he fled.
1: Josephine believes McLeod has sometimes used social media to contact her directly.
0: It was actually two times in the wee hours of the morning, probably more like three o'clock in the morning when I was up doing a research and somebody had contacted me on Messenger. And, you know, after going back and forth talking and just what he was saying to me, I started getting this eerie feeling like, oh my gosh, it's him. And I ended the conversation with, you need to turn yourself in. You know what you did to my daughter. You're an evil person. We're going to find you. And then the guy disappears.
3: Crystal's mom, Josephine, she's been on this hunt for a very long time. And she puts the word out everywhere she believes he's at.
1: Frankie Sanchez is with the U.S. Marshals Service. In December 2016, he is put in charge of the international manhunt to bring R.J. McLeod to justice.
3: We were contacted by San Diego PD um, and asked to assist in the case. They believed the fugitive had fled into another country. I think the Marshall Service is a unique agency. We not only have offices here in the United States, but we also have excellent contacts with representatives from other countries. We have an extremely long arm and we can reach anywhere in the world to grab somebody and bring them back to the United States. I got involved with this case in December of 2016. So that's what, about six months that he had been on the run. That's a long time. Once a crime is committed, six months behind him, that's that's a lot of ground I have to make up. We work hand in hand with Josephine. When she puts information out on Facebook, She notifies me, and as the tips come in, she sends them to me immediately. I have a great relationship with the family. I I know Josephine. I know the kids, and it pushes me to want to find this guy and put him in custody. I absolutely believe he's still dating, and it's scary because these women have no idea who they're encountering. He's already proved his propensity to violence. He's on the run. He has nothing to lose at this point. He is just a ticking time bomb ready to blow.
1: The U.S. Marshals have received many tips from people who claim they've seen McLeod in Mexico or Central America. But he always remains one step ahead. How can a man who commands so much attention manage to stay on the run for so long?
3: According to some of the sources that we've spoken to, he's telling people that he was a Marine out backpacking. And just kind of out exploring. So he's going from town to town. And I believe when things get heated up, that's when he picks up and he goes. He's very charismatic and he's he's got the gift of gab. So he attracts people with that easily. He's obviously a muscular individual. He is heavily tattooed. He has pretty unique tattoos on his body, specifically on his arms. The word was that he was looking for mercenary type work. It's a quick and easy way for him to make good money and, and also have that good protection behind him some of these countries that we believe he's been to, money talks you know, and power talks. And it's very scary for someone to want to call in a tip when they know somebody is connected with certain individuals. When you're dealing with another country and you get a tip in, the biggest challenge is getting the ball rolling and getting somebody on that tip ASAP. Obviously, I can't fly out for every single one of these tips. So that's the most challenging thing. That and as we're vetting each and every tip It's which ones do we actually go out there and do the interview ourselves, rather than turning it over to a liaison with another country to go out and vet the information that we're receiving. That's really challenging because it's a lot of these tips are time sensitive. You know, it's frustrating. You feel like you catch a good lead in this case and it's almost like dangling a carrot in front of you. He's definitely a good fugitive. He's been difficult. But somebody that's narcissistic, they thrive off of that. I'm sure he loves the fact that we have not caught him. There's no doubt that we will catch this guy. And we won't give up. It's been very frustrating. It's been very difficult. But you know, that's what we do for a living, and it's uh, we'll keep pursuing him.
1: More than four years after Crystal Mitchell's murder, R. J. McLeod continues to evade authorities. Josephine and her family struggle to move forward knowing he's still at large.
0: One night My granddaughter, well, she's my daughter now, but my granddaughter had said, Nana, why did God allow Mommy to get murdered? And I said, you know, there are just some things we don't understand. My granddaughter turned away and she said, Oh, Nana, I hope I never get murdered.
3: (laughs) I want to give closure to the family. They're hurting bad. It makes me sick that somebody like this individual can do something like this to another human being, to a beautiful woman who has small children and think you can get away with this. It's not going to happen. We're going to find you.
0: I want McLeod caught because, one, he killed my daughter. He needs to pay for that. And yes, my daughter is dead and can't bring her back, but it could bring peace to us as far as chasing him and trying to find him. It would bring peace to her children to know that justice was served and that the person who took their mother away is behind bars paying for it. I have no doubt in my mind that this man is killed again. I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever. He's a very devious and violent person that should not be on the streets. He's a monster. He needs to be stopped.
1: Raymond R.J. McLeod was recently added to the U.S. Marshal's Top 15 Most Wanted Fugitives list, and there is a reward of up to $50,000 for information leading to his arrest. McLeod typically goes by R.J., but could be using the aliases Matt or Mateo. He is in his late 30s and is described as 5'11, 215 to 245 pounds, with a bodybuilder's physique. Raymond McLeod has brown hair, hazel eyes, and tattoos that cover both arms and his collarbone. You can see photos of RJ McLeod at unsolved.com. If you have any information about this case, please contact the US Marshals at 1-877-WANTED2 or submit a tip online at usmarshals.gov/tips or at unsolved.com. Next on Unsolved Mysteries. Shocking is not quite the word that you could use to describe that. New to the job, and you open a box up and you see a skull staring back at you. So, it was quite a shock, and then it made me mad that that's the way they had been treated. Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Muir Productions and Cadence 13. It is executive produced by Terry Dunmuir and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Lloyd Lockridge, Christine Lenick. Courtney Ennis and Paige Heimson The story producer for this episode was Molly Ryan and it was edited by Keith Shea From Cadence 13 Editing, Mixing and Mastering by Chris Basil Andy Jaskowitz and Bill Schultz Production support by Sean Cherry and Ian Mont Artwork and design is by Kirk Courtney Publicity by Josephina Francis and Hilary Schuff The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd Thanks for listening to episode 10 of Unsolved Mysteries. Update Fugitive Raymond McLeod was arrested in El Salvador by U.S. Marshals and Salvadoran authorities on Monday, August 29, 2022, after receiving a tip that he was teaching English in a school in the small town of Sonsonate near San Salvador. The tipster recognized McLeod from a photo she had seen on a website and reported him to the police he was arrested in his classroom in front of his students. McLeod was using the alias Jack Donovan and claimed he was from Canada. Photos taken after his arrest show the fugitive had grown out his hair and beard, and it was reported that despite the summer heat in Central America, he wore long-sleeved shirts to conceal his many tattoos. R.J. McLeod was immediately extradited to San Diego, California, where he has been charged with murder and faces a prison sentence of 25 years to life. When she first heard of McLeod's arrest, San Diego County District Attorney Summer Steffen stated, huge credit goes to the victim's mother, who never gave up searching for her daughter's killer, and worked closely with our office and other law enforcement to make this arrest possible.
0: Justice, catching him just brings that sense of relief and accomplishment that we did it, that I did everything I could for my daughter.